Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. If you've been here last couple of weeks, last few weeks, apart from the AGM, we've looked at this idea, we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven, and I just felt when we reopened this up that that was what I was meant to start to talk about. And I'm going to keep on talking about it until I feel like God's said, you've talked enough about it, and then we'll do something else. Um, and these weeks, these Ivy Central weeks in an evening, are really, especially for people, maybe you've, you're, you go to one of the other um, Ivies, the Fuse or Kingsway or something like that, and you're serving some way in some other team, and, uh, and you're giving out there, and I really want this to be a place where you can come to, and I'm going to do my best to be able to feed you and build you up and everything, because you're giving out, and it's good to be able to come back and receive, isn't it? So we looked at the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth in these last couple of weeks, and we said that God rules over both. But we talked last week about how we could easily accept that God rules over heaven. It's like, yeah, okay, God can rule over heaven. That's all within his sphere of control. But if that's so on the earth, why does it not seem like it? Why do so many terrible and evil things happen if a sovereign God is enthroned? And we said that's because the kingdom of heaven is, is, is all ways going on, is eternal, but the kingdom on the earth is, the phrase theologians use, is now and not yet. The kingdom is now because Jesus brought it from heaven to earth and the kingdom comes through us, through the church, through the Holy Spirit. But the kingdom is not yet, it's not yet fulfilled. So we can pray, and I talked last week what John Ortberg paraphrasing the, the Lord's Prayer, said this great thing, up there, down here. That's how we can pray. May up there be down here. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And we also said you can't pray for his kingdom to come if you're not willing for his will to be done. Two things are tied up. His kingdom isn't going to come if his will isn't going to be done. And I touched a little bit last, last week on what I kind of talked about, an alternative kingdom, but said it isn't actually a kingdom because it has no king. A kingdom has to have a king and the devil is not a king. So there's dominion, a dominion of darkness, a rule of darkness. In the, the Greek word for the, in the Bible is exousia and it means power, the power of darkness, the power of hell, never the kingdom because everything about hell is anti. It's anti-rule, anti-authority, anti-law, anti-structure, anti-matter. It's imploding, chaotic. It's not expanding, it's not flourishing, it's actually shrinking all the time. Interesting, Zoe came with a word earlier and you probably thought, oh, that's because she um, looked over his shoulder and he was making a PowerPoint, but uh, she didn't and she didn't know about that. But um, Zoe was talking about seeing a ladder and steps going up and stuff like that. So maybe God was speaking to her earlier. Anybody think so? I think so. So we're going to look at the dominion of darkness tonight. C.S. Lewis said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, about demons and the devil, etc. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. 
Some people are so focused on the devil. I'm talking about Christians here, not Satan worshippers. Some Christians focus more on the devil than Satan worshippers do. They've got this obsession around spiritual darkness and, and kind of, oh, the, you know, the devil's doing this and the devil's doing that. And, you know, Jesus is our obsession. Jesus is our magnificent obsession. We, why? Because we're more confident of God's ability to bless us than of the enemy's ability to trick us or deceive us. The Apostle Paul, however, wrote to the Corinthians and he said that the way we're not outwitted by Satan is if we're not unaware of his schemes, if we're not ignorant about what he's up to. Which would indicate that if you're not aware, you're open to be tricked. So, as we've looked at the kingdom of God, and that is going to be the focus for many weeks ahead, tonight we're going to spend a little time looking at the opposition, because when we're unaware, we're fair game. So last week, if you're here, and at Fuel on Friday night, we looked at how for us, the beginning of the story starts where? Genesis. It starts with God planting an outpost of heaven here on the earth, a place called Eden. And he puts some people there. The kingdom of heaven is, 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 is put down in some way on the kingdom of earth. And there, eventually, these two humans end up being ignorant, end up being unaware of the enemy and of his schemes. And so they get tricked. So they get fooled, so they get tempted, so that they get robbed, so that they rebel and they lose everything as a result of that. They lose everything. Never make that, never forget that. They get promised everything, they lose everything. But the story doesn't start there. I mean, God's story never, never started, God's always been. But the story that we're talking about, which is, we tend to think of it as Genesis starts there, there's a story before that, once before a time. Once before there was time. The Bible describes a rebellion that happened in the kingdom of heaven, in, in the heavenlies. There was a rebellion that took place. And it's in one or two different places, but in Isaiah chapter 14, it talks about a figure called the king of Babylon. And it describes this, this mysterious figure. And as you read through it, you realise these things can't just apply to an earthly person. There's no way that these things could be spoken about, about just some earthly figure who happened to rule Babylon at any time in its history. It's talking not about an earthly ruler, but about an angelic being. The word angel literally means messenger. That's what it means. The Bible says that angels are ministering spirits. That's what their job is. They're meant to go and be like flames of fire, it says, who just go quickly and do what God wants them to do. And so one of these angels, his name was Lucifer. And his purpose was to serve God. Verse 12 tells us this, this stuff here about the rise and fall of one called the star of the morning. A beautiful, powerful angelic being known as light bearer known as shining one 
That's what Lucifer means. Who raised his head, raised his hand in an attempt to take over God's throne and to become himself the king of heaven. And of course he was defeated. Of course he was thrown down and cast down and kicked out of heaven. And now he is Satan. He is, that Satan means adversary, enemy. He's always been your enemy. Always. You've always had an enemy. But before he was your enemy, he became God's enemy. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's known as the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. He's not bothered about non-Christians. But if you become a Christian, he wants to accuse you. God will never accuse you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when the condemnation comes, you know who's accusing you, don't you? Who's accusing you? So who do you agree with? Who do you mostly agree with, if you're honest? Time to change that, isn't it? Time for us to change who we agree with. God, for a time, the Bible says, has permitted him to become the ruler of the world of unsaved humanity and the demons of hell. He is a defeated but deadly enemy. It's like a scorpion that's had its head crushed but could sting, even so. And our victory in him, over him, is in Jesus Christ. We have victory. Satan has had his head crushed at the cross. So we don't have to fear him. And the Bible says Jesus always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ. So none of this, as I say, is meant to be scary or anything like that to anybody. If you start to feel any, any fear coming or any scary, oh, we shouldn't really be talking about this, rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Do not listen to it. Listen to me. Listen to the word of God. Don't go thinking, oh, I shouldn't be listening to this because this means that the devil's going to come and get me and all that. In fact, any accusing voice that comes to you like that, I rebuke that voice now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and send it back to where it must come from. It must go in the name of Jesus because we don't have fear. So we are careful but not fearful. What do I mean by being careful and not fearful? Well, I was helped many years ago by an amazing guy called John Paul Jackson, who's gone to be with the Lord now. But he wrote a great book called Needless Casualties of War. He said there are so many spiritual warfare books out there, and many of them, like I was talking about before, in a way, they, they sort of glamorize something of the devil in some way in his thing. You know, they, they focus so much of him. And others of them, they call for us in terms of how to pray, and they talk about how you've, you're supposed to go and get out there and attack the principalities and powers over your region and do some like spiritual mapping of it and all of that and then you you cry out to the heavenlies and you cast things down and all this kind of stuff and he says you know what that ain't right you know you can hear people I've sometimes been in premise you can hear people rebuking the devil and smashing this and breaking that and cursing this and in the name of Jesus and I'm like oh no Psalm 115 verse 16 says the heaven Even the highest heavens belong to our God. But the earth he has given to the children of men. This is the realm in which we have been given authority. Where? On the earth. On the earth. This is where you've been given lots of authority on the earth. 
But we haven't got authority in the heavenlies. John Paul Jackson says that he'd, he'd been called to all these churches and, and he was speaking in various churches and he'd find out about horrible things that were happening in all these fellowships, so many fellowships. And he was like, oh, this guy is in charge of the intercessors, but he's just had this attack on his family and that attack on his family. And then this has happened and this has happened. It's just gone from bad to worse. And we're wondering if he's been cursed or something because of, you know, he's such a prayer warrior and because he's always casting this out and casting that down and doing all of that kind of stuff. And he was like, oh, maybe he is. And then he went and he kept on praying about these things. And then he had a vision, kind of dream. He was a very prophetic guy. And he says that in the dream, he saw all these people and he actually saw this guy as being one of them going out into a field from the church and they had, instead of Bibles, or he said it was like they were like gunslingers in a way, he said, but instead of having, having guns, they had Bibles here. And then they also had hatchets and swords. And then as they went out into the field, they were looking up at the heavens, and they were looking up at the moon, and they were looking up at the stars, and they started to shout at the moon, and they start, shouted at the stars. And they got these hatchets and threw them up into the, into the air, and they were throwing them up at the moon, and they got a sword, and they were throwing that up in the air, and they were getting a dagger, and they were throwing that up in the air. And they were going in the dark, and they were, they were lost. And guess what? What was happening to them? coming on everybody around them and on themselves. And I, that's why I never really like it when I hear people in prayer meetings saying, well, Satan, I rebuke you. I'm like, ooh. Not because I'm fearful, but because I want to be careful. In the New Testament, the book of Jude, it says, it warns you. It says, don't be a dreamer. It says, there are dreamers who slander, who slander celestial beings to their own ruin. It says, even the archangel Michael didn't dare do that. When he was confronting the devil, he said, the Lord rebuke you. That should say something to us. Because I know... When I stand before the devil, or any enemy, any of his powers, I also know who stands between us. Remember years ago, I've told this story before, but I'm from uh, Denton. I was actually brought up in Ordenshaw. I used to get to go to school in Denton for many years, and I got on the bus, and I used to have to come back, and I'd walk through a park, a playground. I remember we were about 12, and I had my... My uniform on for my school. And as I was walking through, there was all these lads from this horrible school around the corner in Ordenshaw called Edgerton Park. Anybody went? <laughs> yeah, you did. Okay. <laughs> anyway, all these lads from Edgy were there. And I walked through. It was about three of them. They were, ooh, Tommy Moores. Ooh. They all kind of came over, about four of them. And, uh, and then one of them came up to me and he was like, oh, you get off the bus, yeah, like that. And then, Kind of, and a couple of them kind of gave me a couple of smacks kind of thing and I went home like blood all over me and I mean, beat up and I went to my dad like <laughs> anyway um, so next day I went through the same park past the same lads with no fear whatsoever do you know why? because I had my dad with me no fear my dad met me off the bus stop walked through the park we walked right up to those lads and he looked at them. Didn't have to say anything. And I never had any problem going through that park again. I was asked at the AGM a really good question about whether we should be praying against a particular thing going on in the nation. 
And my gut answer, and to be honest with you, I've looked at the Bible and I think I've sort of confirmed it, that certainly this is what I believe anymore, is the Bible actually never tells us to pray against anything. Prayer is a positive thing. You pray for. You don't pray against. Praying against is more like witchcraft, if you're not careful. Because I'm bringing my power, my soul to bear and what I want. Don't pray, just pray for God. Pray for his will to be done. Pray for his kingdom to become. You don't have to pray against, pray for. It's much more powerful to pray for. Prayer is a totally positive thing. You look through the Lord's Prayer. We're in this series, mentioned it a few times. It's all positive. We're praying for the kingdom to come. We're praying for God's will to be done. We're praying for us to be delivered from temptation and not to be led into, sorry, to be delivered from evil and not to be led into temptation. Even the negative is prayed for in a positive because God doesn't do negative. He only does positive. That's all he's got. So if you get... So, if you get the source, could somebody just pull up that for me, please? Uh, stick it up here, Chester. If you were to get you at the source of truth from Hollywood and not the Bible, you'll know that they love to make scary, stick it up there, scary horror movies about the devil, and they want to frighten us by looking at what the Bible. But if, the thing is, if you look at what the Bible says about the devil, thank you, it's never scary. Never going to be scary to us. Because God wants his children to live in the truth. Scary movies are not based on what is true. They depict Satan as being just as powerful as, as God. So there's this constant battle going on. We can sometimes even absorb that kind of Eastern mysticism sort of thing. It's called dualism. And you know, you've probably seen it, you know, like the yin and yang thing. And the idea is you've got the dark and the light. You've seen this? And there's a bit of light in the dark, there's a bit of dark in the light and all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, so if this is what the, the, the spiritual reality is like, then who's going to win? We don't know. It could go either way, etc. The Bible knows nothing of that. That ain't biblical. That ain't right. That's not what we believe. That's rubbish. It's for the bin. Our God has won. Our God's a winner. He's victorious. In fact, I can't do this big enough. Just imagine that this white, this, this piece of paper, just stretched for infinity in every conceivable direction, up and to the sides and down and all that kind of stuff, yeah? And then somewhere allowed to be, there's a dot. That's more like the biblical picture. Now, if you focus on the dot, <laughs> if you keep your eyes on the dot, and you keep looking at the dot, it gets pretty dark. Some people live in the dot. Why? Why would you live in the dot? Why would you live in that darkness? So here's what is true. Satan is real, he's powerful, he's your enemy, he hates you. And it's because he hates God. And we, you remind him of God. But he's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. He can't be everywhere at once. He doesn't know what you're thinking. Unless you tell him. Some people are always telling him what they're thinking. Don't tell him. Do you remember in Acts, there's a, these guys called the sons of Siva. They were like se seven Jewish exorcists. It says high priest sons. So they are religious figures, high priest sons. They've got that kind of authority, but they've got no spiritual authority of their own. 
And they see that Paul is delivering people from demonic oppression when he goes and prays for them. So they think, oh, that looks good. Bit of spiritual warfare. We, I can go and do that. Let's go and do it. So they go and they get some poor bloke who's got some demons and they say, let's, get, let's kick the demons out of him. And it's seven of them against only one of him. So they think, well, this is bound to work. And then they, nothing's working. So what do they say? They say, we adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of him. Remember that? What happens? Well, the demons say, hmm, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who the heck are you? And you know, that's quite insulting, isn't it? To be honest, for a Christian, if you're a Christian. Some people, they come and they say, oh, I really feel like the devil's having a go at me at the moment. And you have to think, really? Does he, do you think the devil knows you? Does the devil know who you are? Really? Are you doing anything that would bring you to his attention? Because I'm not saying you're not going through a bad time. I'm not saying that there may not be some demonic stuff that's happening against you. But sometimes we give the devil all kinds of credit for stuff that he's not doing at all. Because these guys... You know, they, they, don't, they don't have that relationship with, with, with Jesus that Paul had. And as a result of that, they've got no power. And the guy jumps all over them and beats them up. And it says, they fled out of the house naked and wounded. See, that's what happens when you go into warfare without intimacy. Without knowing who you are and who God is. You can't fight hand-to-hand -hand battles with second-hand knowledge. And then it says, I love this, this became widely known in the area. Well, it would do, wouldn't it? Seven naked priests running through the streets. <laughs> You'd be like, hang on, let's get that in the papers. So listen, you were no match for the enemy. But he's no match for God. Between God and Satan, there is no contest. Because there's actually no comparison. The bad news is that Satan is more powerful than human beings on our own. The good news is we're not on our own. We're never on our own. From the day you open your life to Jesus Christ, I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you. He's in, he's there, he's with you. And he's greater than he that is in the world, isn't he? He that is in me, say me. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. So, quick question quiz what's the opposite of hot wait until they've answered that one. yeah I'm somebody's phoning a friend what's the opposite of big what's the opposite of God nope trick question Satan is not the opposite of God He's the opponent, but he's not the opposite. God has no opposite. He has no equal. That sounds good, doesn't it? It's true. God is in the category all by himself, so even this picture isn't right. There's no yin and yang and all this kind of stuff going on. So what happened then? You might say, well, how did we end up with this dominion of darkness? 
Here's how it happened. God gave Lucifer a special job and a place of great heavenly honour because Lucifer was perfect and blameless. He could spend his time in God's presence. This cherub, this resplendent being, this angel, had the ability to think and feel and choose what to do. And Ezekiel 28 verse 14 says he was the anointed covering cherub on God's holy mountain. Scholars believe that his role was to be in charge of the worship. Beautiful, talented, Glorious, gifted, wonderful, no self-esteem issues. At the top of every hierarchy, except for God himself, without equal. Then one day he looked in the mirror and he said, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Oh, that would be me. So, put the scripture on please. You said in your heart, Notice, God knows what's going on in hearts and in thoughts. The devil doesn't, God does. So, didn't even, I don't even know what he did at this point. He just thought this in his heart. What did he think? I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Here's a fabulous piece of art. Who's greater than the art? The artist. That's what Satan forgot. See, Lucifer had wonderful qualities, but he had nothing, he was nothing in comparison to the one who created him, the one who made him. And that uplift became his downfall. His self-promotion led to his demotion. He was no longer content with what he'd been given and with who he was, who he was made to be. He wanted more, more, more. He wanted a throne higher than all of the other angels. More. He, being in God's presence was no longer enough for him. I want more than that. Lucifer wanted to be as great as God. More, more, more. He wanted a throne next to God's. Actually, no, I don't want a throne just next to God's. I, I think there's room on there for two. In fact, get off my throne, God. I'm going to replace God. Look at the scriptures again. Look at all the eyes in this. Look at all the I wills. All the self will. And because God is perfect and cannot tolerate sin, he threw him out. Threw him out of the kingdom of heaven. Five times Lucifer says, I will. And it's all ego. That was his downfall. And it will be ours too. I need to look at this issue because I have the same compulsions, the same drives, the same tendencies, the same dangers. And I've got way less to brag about. That's why the Bible says the number one sin on God's hate list is pride. Look at Proverbs 6. I'm not going to read it all. Just look at what's top. There are these six things the Lord hates. The Lord hates this. Indeed, seven are repulsive to him. What's number one? A proud look. And then in the Amplified, it says, the attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. God hates pride. Book of James says he opposes the proud. You know what's way worse than the devil coming against you is God opposing you because you're proud. Look at the five I wills. Again, one at a time. We're going to see how they challenge our God who is so great, who is the great I am. 
these I wills come against the I am. And as we do this, ask the Holy Spirit, please put a check in my heart. In fact, write these down if you want to. Make a note of them and pray them through in the week. I will ascend to heaven. Verse 13, he says, that's number one. That means I'm good enough. If you look at the book of Job, there's this interesting scene that takes place where Satan is allowed into heaven and God says, what are you doing here? And he says, oh, I've been down on the earth up to stuff and looking around and being the devil. And, and he's like, he's only there with permission. And everything that he does, he has to ask permission for. That's the, the biblical picture. It's like God allows it, God permits it for a time. We don't know why, we don't know how, all of the talk. But he's a created being. So, when he's in heaven, he's only there because God let him there, be there, not because he's good enough to be there. But pride says, I'm good enough. Pride says, I'm special. Pride says, I'm unique. I'm wonderful. And it forgets. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking about? And how, that God made you and that you can't live life independent of him. He believes he's so good, he's good enough to be in God's presence by himself. Now, could this be a danger for us? It certainly could. You'd be amazed how many funerals I've done of perfect people. You'd be amazed of the funerals I've done for people who, who would, he would do anything to help anyone. I never met anybody who would do anything to help anyone really, if I'm honest. We say it as a phrase and it's nice. But everybody needs grace. Everybody needs forgiveness. I remember a story from, I heard Nicky Gumbel talk about years ago about the Alpha Course and he, he said that he uh, had this, this guy came up to me and said, you keep talking about sin and, and, and in, these, you know, in this talk and, I, and I've heard the word, I kind of understand it, but I actually think I'm, I'm a really good person myself and I don't sin. So Nicky Gumbel's like, oh, all right, are you married? This is, yes, is your wife here? Yeah, let's go and ask her. So <laughs> invited the wife over, she came over. And she said, you know, your husband here, I've just met him, and he says that he doesn't actually sin. What do you think? And she said, well, yeah, I think he's right. I'm a Christian, and, uh, and he's, he's not. He's here checking this out. But he is the kindest, nicest, best, you know, goodest person I've ever met. He really is. So Nicky Gummel said, well, come on the app course anyway. Ask your questions as you want to, and all the bits about sin, you know, just sort of take that as read. You don't have to, maybe it doesn't apply to you, it's all fine, but it would be interesting for you to come along. So he says, right, okay. Anyway, they came along and he didn't see him again until they have this thing called the Holy Spirit Day. If you've not done the Alpha Course, you need to do the Alpha Course, it's amazing. This time called the Holy Spirit Day, when they basically invite the presence of God to come in the room and people pray for one another. And they did this thing, and, and Nicky Gumbel's walking around and he sees this, this bloke, this person in bits on the floor, crying out, Oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm such a sinner, I'm such a mess, I'm sorry. Tears pouring off his face. It's the same guy. Because you're not comparing yourself to people anymore. He's coming to the presence of God. This is the difference. See, pride tells you you're good enough. Pride tells you, run your own life, do it your way. You don't need God for this one, you choose. Sounds a lot like what the serpent told Adam and Eve, doesn't it? But whenever you think or act independent of God, you're rebelling like they did. When you decide to do it in your own power and your own strength, you're doing the same thing as your first parents did. Number two, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. That says I'm better than. Who are the stars of God? All the other angels. 
Pride makes you compare with other people rather than being content with your place. Satan's own name was son of the morning, star of the morning, but he wants to be the superstar. He wants to be over all of the other stars. His ego spoils what I have because it compares with what somebody else has got. So many people these days want to be a star. He literally, as I say, wants to be the superstar. One of the best definitions I ever heard of pride is it's an unhealthy sense of your own importance. I have that. I just got to so watch that. Again, this isn't limited to the devil, is it? He's talented, he's musical, he's wonderful, but he's not content with leading worship anymore, singing it's all about you. He wants it to be all about him. He wants the other stars, these millions of angels, to come and worship him. And actually, he succeeds to some extent because Revelation chapter 12 says a third of them decided to follow him in this attempted celestial coup. So now they're his demonic allies. I read a book recently, this, I won't go into all the details of it, this, this amazing guy's a doctor, very gifted and talented guy, and he was saying about how something he does, and he's not a Christian, but he was saying this thing about what I've started to do now, he says I do this thing called star therapy, and people are like, oh, tell us about star therapy. He says, what I do when I start to feel like I've got my ego, it's getting a bit too much, I go out and I look up at the stars, and I just spend some time looking at the stars, and then I realise that I'm, I'm, just, I'm just little me on this little planet, and I'm not all that big and not important, and everybody's like on this podcast going, that's really important. And I'm kind of thinking, no, it's just star mate. Psalm 8, David goes out and he says, when I consider this, the heavens, the works of your fingers, what is man that you're mindful of him? Satan says, I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. The Mount of Assembly is the place that God announces his decisions from. Lucifer says, I know better. I'm going to take over. I'm going to take control. What does God know anyway? And again, this is obviously a danger and a warning for us. There's no earthly power, there's no anybody else that this fits. But this basically means Satan is saying, I want control, I want control of everything. The whole universe, my kingdom must come. And we have to watch out for three things, domination, manipulation and control in the way in which we are with other people. Whenever we get into them, we're in danger of batting for the other side. Because these methods will never accomplish what God wants on the earth. Number four, he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. The clouds in the Bible is all about glory. So many times you're going to read about the clouds, you're going to read about the glory. He's saying, I want the glory. I want to get above the glory. I want all the glory to come to me. The word glory is linked to putting something on display, showcasing it. This is what he's saying. I want people to notice me. I want people to say how wonderful I am. How many talented, gifted Christians do you know who, because they were not given enough focus, because they were not given enough praise, because they were not given enough attention or time or credit or reward or recognition, ended up going backwards? Remember in the book years ago, a little South African guy called William Doomer, he called himself the little black man. That was what he called himself. It's an amazing book. And it details these incredible miracles that this guy did. He went all over the world from South Africa, born in this little village. And he, he went before kings and presidents and he raised the dead. He did an amazing things. Came to this country, rallies, just fantastic stuff. The title of the book, he didn't write the book. He didn't want the book to be written. The title of the book said what he said 
all the time after everything that happened is the title of the book. Take your glory, Lord. It's a great book. It's a great thing to pray. Take your glory, Lord, for everything that happens. See, it may not look like it here on the earth, because on the earth, even in church, we elevate people with gifts or charisma. But I suspect that when the kingdom comes, when heaven comes to earth again, we're going to find that the people God used most, the people God gave most of his power to, are not necessarily the most talented, the most gifted, the people with the most power or the most charisma, but actually the most humble. Those who say, take your glory, Lord. We'll see his glory. Finally, number five, he says, I will make myself like the most high. He says, I'm going to reject the authority over me. Pete talks about that before. This is madness when you think about it from what the devil's doing. The creature is saying, I don't want the creator to have any rule over me anymore. The one who made everything isn't going to rule over me. The only one who never has, has to ask, the only one who never doesn't know, totally autonomous, who refers only to himself for every decision, the one who is high overall, the devil says, I can be like him. He can't. And it's rebellion to think that you can. The Bible directly equates rebellion with the sin of witchcraft. Again, beware of a rebellious spirit. Invite God to break it. Ask God, do anything you have to to break that rebellious spirit in me. So, before we go much further, let me just drop this one in. Nearly done. One reason why so many Christians miss out on the blessing of God is this. They can't submit to authority. How do you know a Christian can't submit to authority? Because... They can't submit to any authority. So I'm not just talking about authority in church. I mean anything. It's like, don't tell me what to do. That's what this attitude basically says. You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. But submission to authority is God's pathway to more power. So it gives a whole other talk I'm going to do one week. I was, I was asked to speak of something on Friday night. I was just done the Bible thing here and I was going over there. And I was just near around the corner from it. And uh, the lights in front of me were changing to red. And I was going up to them, and they just changed to red. They only just changed to red. They were like, you know, orangey red. <laughs> and I was like going up to them, and, and, I, and I, thought, I thought, I've got to get there. I don't want to be late. I don't want to be late. Stop. And I stopped. And I really felt, you know what I felt like God said? Good lad. It was like, it was it. It was like, I'm going to bless you now. I'm going to bless you more than if you'd gone through. I mean, there wasn't, it wasn't like there was, it was a really quiet area. It wasn't a dangerous red. But even so, it was like a submission to that authority, that, that, that law. If I'd have just gone blazing through that, then I'm asking God to use me. See, some Christians moan about authority so loudly, speak against it so often, undermine authority that God has put in place and they've got no right to. And I mean against parents, I mean against leaders, I mean against their boss, I mean against governments, I mean against the police, those in authority. God uses the word obey. God uses the word submit with regard to authority in the Bible. Whether it's a good master or a harsh one. So watch what you put on Facebook. Watch what you agree with. 
in the home, in the workplace, the church, the community. He calls us to submit. He calls us to honour. Honour those in authority. And that's the way his kingdom works. So, what was Satan's sin? Pride. What was his downfall? Pride. God opposes pride. The pride that wants you to exalt yourself and lift yourself up. If you do that, you're just painting a big target on your back. And you're saying to the devil, come and open fire. What got Adam and Eve kicked out? Pride. How did he get Adam and Eve to rebel against God? By, by sinning against him. Pride. What is the devil's deadliest tactic? In fact, his most common undetected spiritual attack. Pride. We don't think of that, do we, as a spiritual attack? We don't even see it. We don't see it coming. You know why? Because we don't see it in us. Nobody thinks the proud. It's desire for me to be in charge, me to get my way, my, you know, because I know best and I'm right and all that kind of stuff is, is, is deadly. C.S. Lewis summed up a survey of the teaching of Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther and others in mere Christianity. He said this, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. He goes on to say, it is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. See, the problem is, like I said, it's easy for us to see it in other people, terribly difficult for it to see it in ourselves. Lewis again observed this. He said, there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. So how do you self-diagnose it? I love this, this is what he says. If you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or shove their oar in? or patronise me, or show off around me. Rate yourself one to ten on pride. Watch out how high you rate yourself. Rate yourself one to ten on humility. Then ask some people who know you better, who know you well, to rate you. See how the figures line up. We're nearly done. What's the opposite of pride? We're going to say humility. But actually, I think pride is such a, a tremendous power, such a deadly enemy in our lives. There's not just one antidote or opposite to pride. There actually needs to be three. First is humility. That's the easy answer, but it's also the hardest thing. John Stott said, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. The Greek word Jesus used and the apostles used for humility, tapenios, simply means having a right view of ourselves before God. Do you know what that is? You're a good, good father. That's who you are. I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That'll do. The next part of the opposite of pride is serving can you move these through, Ranjit? Sorry. I think he's taking notes. Is that, is that, is that the last one? 
all right, I thought I had some more. I thought I had humility and serving. Are they not on? That's the end of it. There you go, and that's humbled me. <laughs> Next opposite of pride is serving, because you can't just think about it. You've got to do something. You've got to take the lowest place. You've got to go and serve somebody and not expect to be served. That's like practicing humility. I don't want to grab a throne, so I'll put the chairs out. It's the opposite. I'm not too good for that. Choosing to take the low place elevates you in the kingdom. Philippians chapter 2. The devil's not the opposite of God. Jesus is not the opposite of God. But Philippians 2 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Took on the very nature of a servant. Being found in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, what happened? God exalted him to the highest place. If we'll humble ourselves, God will make sure in his time that he exalts us. Because we're not looking for the glory, but the third part of the opposite of pride is worship. The band can come up. When I come to God's throne, there's no room for pride. When I'm at the cross... There's no room for pride. You can't have intimacy with pride and intimacy is your greatest spiritual weapon. I'm going to say that again. You can't have intimacy with pride and intimacy with God is your greatest spiritual weapon. When you're in that place with him, nothing can touch you. Nobody can touch you. I remember a book, reading a book by Graham Cook and he talks about how he was, he was, in this, he was having like a vision and he was being prayed, he was being pursued by this, I think it might have been a dream, there was these horrible dark foes that were coming against him, he was running through a jungle of some kind and, um, and, and suddenly he came into like a place and he just stopped still instead of running. He felt like God said, stop still and he was under this canopy and, he was, and God said, just praise me and worship me and he, and he was there and he said, and all his enemies just went into confusion all around him. Didn't know what to do. Because he'd taken his focus off them, he wasn't fearful of them, lifted up his eyes and his heart towards heaven and worshipped. You can't have intimacy with pride. So when I worship, I'm praying, I'm focusing, I'm singing, I'm changing, I'm declaring, not I will, I will, I will, but your will, your will, your will, your will, your will be done here on the earth as it is in heaven. Should we pray? You could stand if you're able to stand. Lord, we are your creation. We submit ourselves to you. We are small. We are finite. We are dependent. We are lacking in wisdom and ability and power we are prone to sin we are here briefly you are eternal we are smoke and vapour we'll soon be gone 
you reign and last forever. Thank you that because of the love of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, we are also your children. You're a good, good father. We are beloved children. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are protected from our enemy, who is also your enemy. And you stand before us and around us and surround us and protect us. So we stand and we kneel and we worship and we sit by your grace alone. Not by anything in us or of ourselves. And Lord, you've gifted us with unique abilities and resources and advantages. And each one of us, you said you are special. You want us to shine for you. But it's for your glory. So we offer ourselves back to you now in this worship time. We're small creatures, greatly loved. And you want to use us for miracles in your kingdom. So let your will be done and let your kingdom come, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.